Hello, everyone. Welcome to Futures Focus, a Prospects 1500 podcast. This is episode 14. I'm Scott Green. I'm here with my pal, Jake Berry. Jake, it's been a little while. Hope you're doing well. It's definitely unprecedented times, but how are you holding up? Oh, I'm hanging in there. You know, we're finding plenty of good stuff to put out at the site still. And, you know, there's some things going on in the baseball card world, some things going on overseas. So, you know, I think uh, we're getting kind of creative with our fantasy drafts too. So, you know, we're finding a way to kind of kind of trudge ahead, if you will. And, and I'm excited for what we got today. We're talking about one of the most popular and one of the best systems in uh, baseball. So, you know, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, we have Jake Weiner and Bailey Srebnik, who cover the Tampa Bay Rays for Prospects 1500. They will both be joining us as we dive deep into their top 50 Rays prospects for 2020. It was published on our site back in January, a few months ago, Um, but that hasn't changed much. Uh, We haven't had much action other than some spring training games to look at some of these players. So uh, the list will probably stay pretty much the list until later in the summer, uh, possibly early fall, if we make some updates on that. So we'll talk to Bailey and Jake uh, in just a couple minutes. Uh, As Jake Berry mentioned, we're going to talk a little bit about some things that are going on in the fantasy baseball world. Uh, A couple things of note for us specifically, all prospects all the time, Uh, Our friend Jared Chapman created his Chappie's Prospect Challenge that Jake and I and 14 others participated in a 50-round draft. Uh, We're going to touch on some of the highlights from that. And then also something I've participated in. Jake, I know you think this is kind of interesting. We might do one ourselves. A historical seasons rotisserie draft. You basically draft... And then we run the numbers and we see who wins. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting concept, interesting format. I'm not sure uh, how I'd wrap my head around that one, especially with my Korean baseball organization draft going on too at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's another thing. We'll, we'll touch on the KBO that's starting up as well. So before uh, we get any further, let's take care of some business. Let's get back to, talking with Bailey and Jake as they'll be joining us to talk Rays prospects and we'll do that right after this short break. Welcome back to Futures Focus Prospects 1500 podcast. This is episode 14. I'm Scott Green. I'm here with uh, Jake Berry, and we're very happy to welcome in some experts on the Rays, so to speak. We have our Prospects 1500 Rays correspondents, Jake Weiner and Bailey Serebnik. We're going to talk Rays top 50 prospects. So let's just dive right in. Jake, really looking forward to this. It's been a long time coming, right? I mean, this is an exciting system to discuss here. And uh, as soon as Bailey and Jake said they were ready to get on Futures Focus, man, I was fired up. Absolutely. Let's do it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Before we get started and we dive into the race system, uh, Jake, you go first and then Bailey. Jake, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, what you're doing with uh, the site for us, and any other things minor league baseball related that uh, you think we should know about. Absolutely. So. My name is Jake Weiner, born and raised in Long Island, New York. I uh, grew up a Yankees fan. My dad's from Ohio, so I also do root for the Indians. It's a pretty interesting combination, especially when you write for the Rays. So it's definitely given me an interesting perspective. I've been a baseball fan for as long as I can remember. Uh, I've been doing fantasy the same, you know. I remember deciding between Albert Pujols' power and Haley Ramirez's power-speed combo with that number one overall pick. But, you know, it's a little bit different now. Uh, just trying to stay active, do as many drafts, be in as many dynasties as I can. And uh, it's been a good time, you know, just trying to keep this season going this offseason. Yeah, I've been a, um, like Jake, I've been a baseball fan as long as I can remember. Um, I've been going to Marlins games, uh, living in South Florida. I've been going to Marlins games for all my life. Um, So I've grown to become a Marlins fan. Um, I've also liked the Rays since um, 
my dad grew up an Expos fan, but after they left, uh, he drifted to the Rays, and I became a Rays fan as well. And I also like the Orioles. Um, and being in South Florida, the closest minor league team to me is uh, Jupiter. And the advantage to that is they have two teams. They're the only team, only ballpark in the country that has two teams. So there's always baseball there. So I can go to many games a year. So it's Marlins, Rays, Orioles. I mean, how many teams are you rooting for, Bailey? Um, yeah, usually those three. I also like the Daytona Tortugas, so you can throw the Reds in there as well. Bailey likes baseball. It's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and the Seattle Seahawks too, right? They're probably the furthest NFL team away from you. <laughs> all right so um so we're we're a little past our top 50 season but it's always a great time to talk prospects and we haven't done any little uh, rankings in a while so let's think back to uh, third week of january january or so when we published our new top 50 list for the rays uh jake you you wrote that one up and and bailey's gonna kind of tag team with you now on on the uh, beat but what we like to do is kind of uh discuss the top 10 look at these players a little bit uh, deeper than we will the other ones um but that's how we like to start and i think you guys know how you want to uh go about that but it's it's no surprise that uh mr wander franco extraordinaire is at the top of the list so uh, so what do we have to say about him Yeah, uh, that's no surprise at all, obviously, you know, with the sarcasm. Uh, he's the best prospect in baseball. He probably has been, you know, for a few years or as soon as, you know, Vlad crossed that eligibility limit. Uh, 2017, they signed him. He was the top international prospect at the time. Uh, he's got an 80-grade hit tool. It's kind of ridiculous to say you don't say it very often, but, you know, this is the kind of hitter we're dealing with, switch hitting middle infielder. Uh, I think he can stay at shortstop. He's bigger. He can be at third due to the depth in the system. But he's just got electric bat speed, controlled the zone, and uh, he increased the stone base output by 14 yeah, last year. So, you know, the power is there, the contact's there. You know, he's getting on base almost a 400 clip, and there's just a lot to like. And he's going to keep this up, and he's going to be one of the game's best players in a few years. It's pretty evident. Yeah, when you uh, hear people talk about him, you're like, this is the best prospect I've seen play in person. And you might think it's hyperbole, but I can attest. Like, I've seen him in person. Like, he just he's just different. Like, it's a different kind of good, like, that you've never seen before. I mean, I've seen him in batting practice twice, and just the display he puts on is amazing. And in-game, the way he controls the zone, he can really barrel the ball. He's got, I mean, the combination of power and hit tool and speed as a switch hitter, it's just, I mean, he's going to be a generational talent. Eric Cross from Fan Tracks was – talking about Franco and put out, uh, I forget the numbers exactly, uh, but he was a little down on the stolen bases. And he was kind of projecting, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but I, I, I can't remember them exactly. I thought that he might be a 25-25 player uh, in the near future. You know, is Franco a 25 homer, 25 stolen base guy? Or do you see more or less power or more or less speed? That can go to either one of you guys. Um, sure. You want to kick it off, Bailey? Oh, you got it. Okay, sure. So in terms of the 25-25, the skill set is present. It's definitely there. I think uh, the 25 home runs, I think he's going to eclipse that. You know, we don't really know what's going to be happening with the ball in the future, but that bad speed, both sides of the plate, like he, he's going to take any pitcher deep. Uh, the 25 steals, I think, is slightly more interesting. Uh, he's definitely athletic, and he can do that. But you just wonder when he fills into his frame a little bit more, you know, where he gets that power. Is it going to be a trade-off on the speed? Is he going to run a little bit less when he's, you know, eventually batting in the middle of that raise order? So it should be good to see, you know. I, I think the skill will be there, but p- perhaps maybe he'll be closer to a, you know, we could even be looking at like 40-20. I know it's crazy to say, but, you know, I, I think the power is there and the speed. It, it will be around 25, maybe tick a bit under all right. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. I think um, 25, 25, maybe not. I think he'll increase the power and a little less on the speed. I think he gets a lot of his stolen bases from aggressiveness. Uh, he's not as fast as some of the other prospects in the system. I would say maybe like 
35 to 40 homers and 15 to 20 stolen bases, which is obviously like still that. really good. Mm -hmm. Well, the next guy on the list is going to have 25 stolen bases, isn't he? <laughs> oh, way more than that. <laughs> so why don't you tell us about that guy? Oh, yeah. Uh, Vidal Brujan, number two on the list. Uh, this is my personal favorite prospect in the race system. I mean, um, you know, he is, he's a shorter guy, but he makes up with that in his sneaky strength. Um, he's the definition of 80 grade speed. Uh, he just, he's amazing on the base path. He can control the zone. I mean, he's an amazing prospect. Uh, he played in the Arizona Fall League um, in 2019. Um, and he, he, Looked really good there, too. He can get on base. He, he can just do it all. He's really good. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an obvious stud here. And I wrote a recent article about, you know, a potential prospect lineup for the race in the future. And Vidal's got the leadoff man written all over him. I mean, over 100 stolen bases in the past couple of years. Uh, parts of five minor league seasons, hitting 294, getting on base around 380. Like, this is the guy you want on top of your lineup, setting up for guys, you know, that we'll be talking about as well as, Wander Franco, you know, hitting the middle of that lineup. And it's going to be dangerous when you're adding all these athletic middle infielders that this team has. All right. Uh, Jake, anything uh, you want to touch on Franco or Brujan before we move on to the number three prospect who's seen some major league time already? Who, um, who finds themselves as an everyday player for the race first, Brujan or Franco? Um, I'm going to go with Brujan just because I think he's closer to the majors. Um, I, I think he would have started in AAA this year. Maybe yeah. he would have gotten a month in AA. If they're, you know, they're, um, obviously, it's not happening because of the postponements. But I think just because of proximity would have been Brujan. But, I mean, Franco was right behind him. So they, they both would have been up by, like, you know, end of 2021. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, Vidal offers that flexibility where they may put him in the outfield, something like that. So where I think they're really going to take their time, you know, Wanders. Not to say they're a guy, but he'll be shortly after Bruin, I think, too. So we move on to number three, two-way player, Brendan McKay. Yes. How are we thinking about McKay? And this is one of my favorites in the system. Uh, since college, he was the fourth overall pick, 2017. Uh, won the John Olerud Award for a two-way player. So, I, you know, there is part of me that still thinks he can hold the bat in his hand and do damage. I want Bailey to take after, you know, just like a little bit more about him. Uh, absolutely dominated the minors last year to a tune of 165 batting average, double uh, A AA and triple A in 13 starts. Uh, he's got above average to plus plus control on four pitches, fastball, cutter, curve, and change. So if he's going to harness that against big league hitters, uh, he threw six innings. I think it was maybe one hit ball in his debut against Texas. Uh, there's a real major league ace here, you know, lefty. Those are hard to find. Yeah, I, I completely as a pitcher you know, I don't know if the Rays um, I think he'll be more valuable to the Rays as a pitcher than he would as a hitter just because they have so much depth but I mean he I, I saw him back uh, his first start in 2018 for the Stone Crabs and I mean just his presence on the mound like you can feel like he completely controlled the game looked sharp and I mean and as you said he twerped the minors the next year too so he yeah certainly mature beyond his years I agree with that it's you know refreshing to see yeah, I'll be honest, guys. Whenever I kind of see these two-way prospects that come up, I love it. I have an infatuation. You guys are on video now. I have an Otani jersey right here behind me. Not an Angels fan whatsoever. I just love the fascination of a two-way player, right? What has he done with the bat? Because I'll be honest, he's such a good pitcher. I haven't really focused much on the bat. Was he still hitting as he came up through the higher ranks there? Uh, to be honest, he's, he's not really hitting that great. You know, the average is down. It's, it's not what you expect for somebody, again, who I said won the two-way player in college. But yeah. it, it all comes down to, you know, how you're going to progress with a player. If he's going to be a pitcher, they really need to spend that time developing him as a starter. And if it comes at the cost of some of his other tools, you may just have to trust his instincts when it comes to batting and maybe DHing a game here or there. You know, just, just a bat they can use. The Rays are very creative. Sure. Move on the list, I guess. Love him, McKay. Can't wait to see him more in the majors. Uh, Xavier Edwards, he's another speedster. Yes. Uh, real good contact hitter. Uh, not a lot of power. Got him at number four. Start of our tier two on this list. Yes, uh, Xavier Edwards, uh, former first-round pick, came uh, over from the Padres in the Tommy Pham deal. So clearly the Rays valued him if they'd give up a good, uh, good player like Tommy Pham. 
Um, you're right, uh, Edwards, not a lot of power, but he can make it up with his other tools, has a lot of speed, can control the zone while great pitch recognition, really can barrel the bat. Uh, I was hoping to see him in Charlotte this year. Uh, hopefully down the road I will. Um, but I think he can hit o- over 300 for many years. I mean, his strike um, his his strike percentage was under 10, and like his walk was percentage was around the same. Like he he can really good plate recognition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I love Edwards too. It's it's these middle infielders from both sides of the plate <clears throat> with this hit and speed tool. The Rays are full of them, but. I couldn't have been happier when they got Xavier Edwards. Obviously, losing Tommy Pham is a big deal for this organization, who's you know arguably, arguably been their rock on the offensive side for the past couple of years. But Xavier Edwards is an elite prospect in his own right. And I know he said he doesn't possess that power. I do think he does have some sneaky just gap line power. And, you know, doubles his speed will definitely garner extra bases. It could pop over the wall. But, you know, I think that he's going to be a middle infielder. He can play the outfield. I think he's probably best suited for second base right now, but he's smooth there. I mean, the Rays got another good one. What can you say? I know we can't put everybody in tier one, but what would Xavier <laughs> Edwards need to do to move into that tier one status? He needs some power. I, th- I think yeah. that's what it would be, separate himself a little, little bit. But if, if the average keeps trending up, then, you, you know, power is not going to hold him back from being tier one. And, I mean, I don't, you know, sample size, whatever it is, 9.6 to 7.8 strikeout to walk ratio with speed like that, man, I, that is screaming fantasy to me right there. I love it. I really do. He's going to be a good one for sure. Jake, that was a great question about what does he have to do to get into Tier 1. I was going to ask the same question about the number five player on our list, Shane Bass. Uh you know, uh, Jake, what does Baz have to do to really, you know, become that elite pitcher prospect? Absolutely. I mean, there, there's a lot to love with Baz, especially if you're the Rays, considering how you got him. You know, he was a player to be named later in a deal for Chris Archer, also included by Austin Meadows, Tyler Glass. Now, maybe you've heard of them. Pretty good major league players. But in terms of Baz, like, he was pretty ridiculous last year. The stuff's always been there. Uh, the analytics in terms of velocity and spin rate, definitely impressive in his favor. Uh, 2.9 on ERA last year, uh, you know, flashing a plus-plus fastball on a slider, uh, some vicious strikeouts. But my thing is he does have some reliever concern. Uh, the control, you know, the walks are still there. He, he struggled in the Arizona Fall League, even though, as I said, you know, the analytics did favor him looking pretty good. Uh, I do think that there's a chance that the Rays maximize him. He's, he's going to be elite if he can, you know, transcend to this constant starter status. But he, he might be a reliever, and I think that's where he, he's not my tier one right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I think um, I had the same concerns, too, about Boz. I think he could end up uh, as a reliever. I think if he does, he'll still be a high-leverage reliever. I mean, that fastball is electric, but I think that is a legitimate concern. Uh, but I also do think he possesses really high upside as a starter. I think he has the most upside out of any pitcher in the system. Raw stuff, I agree with that, definitely. So we'll move on. Um, We've got another speedster, actually. Uh, Another guy with not a lot of power. Number six, shortstop Greg Jones. And then you guys have a couple pitchers uh, after that. So let's talk about Jones, and then we'll get into uh, McClanahan and Joe Ryan. Yeah, I'm sensing a theme here with these middle infielders. Um, Greg Jones, I would he's pretty similar to um Bruhan and Edwards. Um, you know, the not much power, um, but you know, can really barrel the ball, he's got good speed. Um he's Ray's got him in the late first round of the twenty nineteen draft, and so far it's looking like a steal. Um I think they were gonna, you know, move him through the system pretty quickly because he did uh they did draft him out of college, but he's still uh young, so I uh, really was interested to see how they're going to develop him. Um, you know, it's a sh- smaller sample size, but the strikeout uh, rate was a little higher than you would have liked to see. But I still think um, he could have developed and improved that over time. Yeah, I, I agree. I love Greg Jones, too. My one little concern is the strikeout rate. You know, given his profile, it's not exactly what you consider. He's not like a big power guy, but uh, to your point, I actually do think Greg Jones has some sneaky power upside. He's got a projectable 
frame growing to that a little bit. I mean, he, he absolutely raked in the Penn League, uh, 335 with 19 steals in 48 games. Uh, they picked him, I think, later where most people thought he'd get selected in the draft. And, you know, this is the exact kind of system you want to have a player like this. Uh, I think, you know, I mentioned this with other middle infielders, but he does have a good chance of being pushed to the outfield because he has some experience playing center field. Uh, I think he'll thrive there, though. He's very athletic, and he's got the arm strength to do so. Yeah, I agree. I think um, when they introduced him at the draft, they announced him as an outfielder. So it will be interesting to see um, how they use him defensively going forward. Um, but I agree. I think they might use him in the outfield. So we've got Shane McClanahan, lefty, Joe Ryan, righty, number seven and eight on the list. These are the last two pitchers we have in the top 10. Surprisingly, that uh, Brent Honeywell has fallen just outside the top 10 based on where he was the last couple of years. But let's look at uh, McClanahan and Ryan quickly before we round out our top 10. Absolutely. Uh, let me just give you a quick thing on McClanahan. But before I do so, I know you mentioned Honeywell. Love his stuff. He hasn't pitched a professional game since 2017. So he could pitch a couple of very good weeks and he'd be higher in my opinion, but I'd need to see him in that professional game action. You know, it's, it's been a little bit, but in terms of uh, Shane, you know, this is one of my, maybe my favorite pitcher in the system uh, drafted out of USF, big strikeout upside uh, for him. It's all about harnessing the control in the 2019 top 50. I said, now's the time to invest in dynasty. And now you're seeing him start to pop up in top hundred lists. I mean, this is lefty high strikeout, and, you know, there are some reliever concerns, but he started 26 of 28 games. So I do think that does, you know, remedy it a bit. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, the strikeout potential here is extremely enticing. I think in 2019, he showcased that he has the ability to be a starter long term. Uh, you know, he had Tommy John surgery, I believe, back when he was in college. But um, I don't – it looks like he's – doing fine now he, he was touching 100 um a few years ago and i think his velocity is back up as well so i mean he's he's got a lot of upside bailey do you want to touch on joe ryan real quick yes so joe ryan i would i know scott's a big fan of his um i i like joe ryan a lot too um with him i mean this Strikeout, um, strikeout potential is incredible. In 2019, he led the minor leagues in his in strikeout rate, in strikeout to walk ratio, and he was second in um, strikeouts over nine, uh, only behind Christian Javier. And I mean, he was a ninth round pick a uh, few years ago, and I mean, he's completely exceeding expectations. I think you know he's uh, a bit very close to being in the majors. He pitched over three levels last year. And I mean, he's really turning heads now. I like him even more when I can snipe you uh, two picks ahead of uh, when you were selecting him, uh, which that was like, I, I telegraphed that move, didn't I? Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, get your shares of Joe Ryan now because this is definitely the cheapest he'll be if he keeps up with that unhittable fastball. Like, these yep. guys can't keep up with it. And the, the opposition says so themselves. That's a quote, so. All right. Jake, anything about those two pitchers? I know. I've got nothing to add on these pitchers. I've been itching for us to get to number 10. Because All right. All right. I, so why don't you intro our 9 and 10 guys? Well, listen, I love – yeah, nine. I, I almost skipped over number nine. I think Josh Lowe is a, a guy that's on a lot of folks' radars. Um, I have a very specific question about number 10 before we dive into Hernandez. So why don't you guys tell us about Lowe before we get on to, the, to our catching prospect? Absolutely. So I'll give you a little summary real quick. I mean, Lowe has been someone that's been highly regarded in the system since he was drafted 13 over 2016. Uh, there's really loud tools here. Big, sweet, left-handed stroke. And they put it together in 2019. I mean, 18 homers and 30 steals. I mean, all things considered, 45 extra base hits and 30 steals. So that's double A. That's very impressive. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is, again, a big power-speed combination. Gets on base at a pretty solid clip. And uh, he'll be in the outfield for the Rays in the future, especially if he continues on his current trajectory. Yeah, the uh, younger brother of major leaguer Nate Lowe. Uh, no relation to Brandon Lau. Um, Josh Lowe, you know, the – 
He as a power hitter, the strikeout percent, the strikeout rate is acceptable at 25, um, especially when he has a good walk rate to couple it. And I mean, just the power, the power speed combo, if he can keep it up, is going to be really uh, interesting going forward. Bailey, I'm glad you answered that one because my next question was, who's the low? Who's the low? Who's the? Why well, I get those guys confused all the time. I can't keep up with them. Great prospects though. Jake, I have a very specific question for you on number ten. In your write-up on Ronaldo Hernandez, you say that he's got a very well-rounded offensive profile for a catcher. Are you saying that it's just because he plays the position catcher he's got a well-rounded profile, or would he have value if he was a first baseman or a right fielder? Sure. So I'll let Bailey get more into Ronaldo, but just to address the question, I was very impressed with what he did at the plate a couple of years ago in my top 50 for 2019. So Obviously, you know, we're trying to make that parallel. We see what's going on there. A uh, big power for a catcher. I think he can have. I think he can have plus hit. Didn't really display it last year, but there's definitely more to him than he showed last year. Yeah, I believe the Rays um, over the years have been notoriously weak at catchers. Um, they got lucky with Darno in 2019, and they got half a season from Ramos in 2018. But besides that, that's been their weak spot for years. I mean. Um, like they could have drafted Posey back when they took Beckham, but since then they really have not been great at catcher. I think Ronaldo Hernandez has the chance to be that guy. He's got the power. You know, he was exposed a little bit in the Florida State League. It's, you know, known pitchers league, and he, he struggled a little bit, um, maybe a little more than a little bit. His on-base percentage was lower than you'd like it to be, you know, but he's still – he's a young guy. I think they might have put him in double A um, to start this season, or they might have given a little, him a little more time in Charlotte. Um, wherever he would have started, I think he would have figured it out. I, I really like the tools here. Yeah. Now, and the Rays moved him to Casher, so this is their backstop of the future, I think, as well. Yeah. Now, I'm really curious before we break out of the top 10, because, you know, with the type of leagues that, you know, all of us play in, we're always looking for the guys that are a little bit further down the list, the tier threes and four guys that might bump up. But, Jake, you ranked the list. And, Bailey, I'm curious to hear if you were the one ranking the top ten, if there's anything that you might have done a little bit different. Of course, this list was published a few months ago, so, you know, you might have some other news and opinions and things that come up. But I'm kind of curious if there was anybody you might have moved around a little bit. Great question, Jake. Yeah, um, I – completely agree with the top five. I have that same order. Um, the big biggest difference and pretty much the only difference I would have done is a little later in the podcast, we're going to discuss our prospect crushes uh, in the race system. Mine is Taylor Walls. I would have had him at eight. Um, I, I'm, I really, really like Taylor Walls. Um, so in order to put him at eight, I would have moved up McClanahan. And I would have dropped Greg Jones, but um, and Ronaldo Hernandez would have dropped out of the top ten. Um, but I mean, the Rays have so many good prospects; you really can't go wrong with ranking them. Yeah, you're right about that. I have two prospect crushes in this system. I'm glad you said Taylor Walls. I love Taylor Walls. I'll get to the other one a little bit later. I have one too. You guys are going to want to know who that is, also. Absolutely. So. Great little discussion there on the top 10. I'm going to quickly just run through 11 through 20 name-wise, and then Jake and Bailey would love to uh, ask you to kind of just really free-form it, tell us who some of your prospect crushes are, the rest of the list. Maybe is there a Tier 4, a Tier 5 guy that you really think people should be uh, keeping an eye on, that sort of thing. So 11, we've got Brent Honeywell. 12, Randy Rosarena, uh, outfielder, came over from the Cardinals. Uh, Nick Schnell, 13. That's the beginning of your Tier 3, uh, Jake. Nick Schnell, outfielder, Tier 3. Uh, you've got Taylor Walls at 14. Uh, that was – Bailey had just said that he would have loved to have him up around number 8. Uh, Yoshi Tsutsugo at 15. Uh, Kevin Padlow at 16. J.J. Goss, 17. John Doxakis. 18, Seth Johnson, 19, and Alejandro P.A. at 20. One of my favorites is coming up right at 21. But um, let's just think about 11 through 20 there. Any thoughts? Yeah, so uh, I guess we'll kind of mix our, like, you know, deep prospect crush portion because he definitely did mention mine right there. 
in terms of the top 20, a couple of them that really do stand out. Uh, Yoshi Tutsugo, you know, big Japanese slugger, 28 years old, a bit older than your average rookie. Uh, but, you know, 10 years experience, uh, hit 284, 205 home runs in them. Even at a year in 2016 where he slammed 44. I mean, this is a crowd favorite. The crowd chants go Tutsugo every time he's up. I think the trough is really going to be him. He's a big dog, big, powerful lefty swing. He's going to hit some of the bigger home runs you've seen in the trough. Like, he's going he's to be touching the roof, that's for sure. And uh, just one more I wanted to get into there. Uh, Alejandro Pia, I know that you mentioned him. I mean, this is my guy. You guys need to stock shares of him as soon as you can. He's 18, 6'4", wiry athlete, plenty of projection left in his frame. So he didn't, you know, hit for much power last year. We had 24 steals in 57 games, but he can definitely build on that. He can hit. Um, I actually have him 15 now in my rankings. I know it's no base hasn't played. How do you change that? But I've just watched. I've read a lot on this guy. And there's a lot to dream on. He had a home run in the DSL All-Star game, and he's going to put it together in this race system, and that's definitely a name to keep out for. Yeah, to me, um, of those, that list of those that list of players, I would go with uh, J.J. Ghost as one of the most uh, outstanding players. Um, I really like the projectability in his frame. He can really control the strike zone. Uh, in the 2019 draft, he's one of the best prep pitchers taken. Um, a lot of projection in this frame. I think he can really uh, assemble a good arsenal of pitches. And um, my prospect crush is also in this portion of the list, Taylor Walls. Um, I'm currently writing a deep dive article about him, so be on the lookout for that. But, I mean, he, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated prospects in all of baseball. Um, I think his name gets lost in the shuffle because there's other guys ahead of him like Edward. Jones, Bruhan, you know, middle infielders in the race system, but we can't sleep on walls. Uh, I'd say his standout tool is defense. Um, maybe that's why people are, you know, not as out, you know, well known, I guess. Um, but I mean, he was a raised defensive player of the year. So I, th I think he'll, he might be the shortstop of the future just because of that glove. But then when we look at his offensive profile, he's really well-rounded. Um, his standout tool offensively is his speed. I mean, really intriguing speed. When I saw him play, I saw him, uh, he had three stolen bases in one game. Just his instincts on the base path are um, really good. And um, much like Jones and Edwards and Bruhan, for that matter, he's also a switch hitter. Um, he can really control the zone uh, from both sides of the plate. Uh, good plate recognition. Um, and when I was thinking into his stats for the article, I noticed that his ISO and his Woba were well above average, and it really stood out to me because if you're going to point to one tool that Taylor Walls might be lacking in, it's his power, and his ISO was 182 last year um, across two levels, and that's way higher than I would have expected for someone who may not have as much power as a guy like um, Moises Gomez. Sounds good. You know what? My prospect crush – just after the uh, 11 through 20 range, uh, I want to touch on Nico Hulsizer. Uh, but uh, Jake, any any comments on those guys from 11 to 20 that uh, you didn't get to mention there, Mr. Barry? No, no. I was just going to harp on Walls one more time. I think I have, if not 100% exposure, maybe 95% exposure to Taylor Walls in my leagues. And uh, after hearing what Bailey had to say about that, I feel a little bit better about that now. And it's all about having the exposure in the dynasty leagues. How many shares, right? You know, people are always talking about how many shares of uh, a player. Yeah, if you guys hear me say exposure, you know, I play DFS a lot too. That's, that's the way, that's the term. So yeah, shares, exposure, all that good stuff. So I saw Nico Hulsizer play for the Valley Blue Sox up here in Holyoke, Mass. In the New England Collegiate Baseball League a few summers ago. Uh, just this big kid uh, from Moorhead State. I think it was the summer in between his sophomore and junior. Maybe it was between junior and senior. I can't remember exactly. And um, I've been watching and, and tracking him since, which has been fun. And, you know, he, he did well after he got drafted with the Dodgers and was in their system for a little while. And then went over, uh, it was a via trade, I think. Um, uh, so yep. one of you guys, you know, tell me you've, you've been, you know, 
digging a little deeper than I have uh, studying the system. What do we have uh, to look forward to with Mr. Hulsizer? Sure. So you actually beat me to the punch on that one. Uh, that was, you know, as you mentioned, number 21 prospect, just outside of the grouping that you mentioned. Uh, he's got big raw power, and that's going to translate into games. I mean, he had 20 of them in 83 last year. Uh, a lot of them were in the Pioneer League with the Dodgers. It's a pretty hitter-friendly league, but he showed a good feel. Uh, he's a good left fielder. He's got a powerful arm, so he can stay there. You know, he's routinely chucking guys out at home, so that's good to see. Uh, my one concern would be a high strikeout rate you know, 123, 96 games, but that kind of comes with the traditional profile of being the slugger that he is. You just got to hope that he can tone those down a little bit. The power is going to be there. Uh, he's, he's a fun dude. He brings a lot of energy to the field, too. Off the top of your head, can you think of a better nickname than the Hulk-sizer? <laughs> Not in this system, unless you're yeah. calling under Franco the goat. I don't think so. <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, that. I, I like Hulk-sizer, too. Um, you know, I agree the strikeout percentage um, is higher than you'd like to see, but I think he's going to be a true three-come out, a three out, true three-outcome player, um, home run, walk, or strikeout. Um, and I think in order to stick in the majors, he's going to have to keep hitting those home runs. And so far, he has been doing that. So it should be interesting going forward how that ends up being. So – one, uh, two other guys I want to ask about, and that, that'll be it from me. A um, little lower down on their list, you've got uh, Curtis Mead, I think 35, uh, middle infielder, and then another two-way player, Tanner Dodson, a left-handed pitcher and outfielder. I grabbed Curtis Mead, I think in the 48th or 49th round in, uh, in our uh, Chappie's Prospect Challenge. And, and I've always been intrigued with these two-way players in Dodson. So tell us about those two guys. I'd really like to know a little bit more. Sure. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Dodson. If Billy doesn't mind, I guess you can follow up with Curtis Mead. All right. Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned with Dodson, this is a two-way player. Uh, this is something that the Rays really relish, having an opportunity to develop. Uh, Second-round pick a couple of years ago. Um, he's had some injury-riddled seasons. Uh, you got to wonder if he will come back. He's an outfielder. He's a left. For a two-way player, and I think this is actually a bat that can play this is the game. So a lot of these two-way players you see get drafted. Uh, they eventually, you know, straight up develop into one of them. I think you might see Tanner Dodson as like a reliever. He might slot in as a hitter. Uh, this is a valuable asset for a team that can develop them like the Rays. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the injuries, you know, lot, he lost some time to develop. So um, maybe that pushes him to become either a hitter or a pitcher. Um, he could stick as a two-way player going forward, though. And then on Curtis Mead, really intriguing player. Um, he played in the Arizona Fall League this year. Um, it's not Arizona, sorry, Australia um, Baseball League, um, the Winter League. And um, he's only 19, uh, but he, he had a good showing there. He has a knack for contact and power, um, but I think he has potential as a, um, getting some stolen bases too. Yeah, I definitely agree. I like Mead as well. I mean, he was originally signed out of Australia by the Phillies, so, you know, it makes sense. That's where he's going back to play. He does possess a couple of potential tools. You know, his run would be most, most attractive, I guess. But, you know, it's interesting. I always like to see what these versatile foreign players can do with their opportunity playing state side ball. Any uh, other guys, Jake, Barry, that you want to ask about? This is such a deep system. We could go on forever. I don't know if there's another system where I can literally scroll through the top 50 and I know every name. Like I have a memory of every single player, every single name that shows up in front of me. You know, usually if I'm scrolling through the Indians or the Marlins system and I see a guy in, you know, the mid-20s, I'm like, oh, man, you know, Stoffer or whoever was ranking him really found a, a diamond in the rough here. I need to look up that guy. This is one of the systems where I just know every single name I'm scrolling through. I did want to ask you guys about one who is a prospect that's near and dear to my heart. I interviewed him long before the quarantine mustache broke out, uh, Lucius Fox, back in 2017. He was actually one of the very first prospects I ever interviewed before I even started the Prospects 1500. And I think he's a much better real-life prospect than he's a fantasy prospect, right? I think we can all agree yeah. on that. Special um, glove. He's got a special glove, actually. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious if you guys see anything in his offensive skill set 
that might lend to him being a fantasy asset down the road sometime. I know right now he's got a lot of work to do. Uh, if you guys see any potential for him to be a fantasy piece down the road. Yeah, so I mean, speed plays. Uh, I always thought he would be their shortstop of the future just because the glove is that special. I mean, this yeah. year I think that changed my opinion a little bit. That in like 220, and you know, obviously there's talent like Wander there. Uh, he played really well in the Arizona Fall League in 2018 after having two pretty, you know, consistent seasons, batting 266 and 268. So kind of thought there was something there. I don't really think that last year's display shows it, although he did have 39 steals. Uh, so there's adjustments that need to be made. But I think speed plays if he's going to get time with that glove. And, you know, that translates into at least a somewhat useful fantasy commodity. Yeah, I'm a little down on Lucius Fox, um, at least from a fantasy perspective. Uh, just I don't know if he's going to hit enough. I, I think if he's going to carve out a role as a major leaguer, I don't know if it's going to be with the Rays just because there's so many other middle infield prospects, yep. um, especially with that uh, strikeout rate. But, I mean, someone's going to want him with the, the glove and the speed. If he can develop the hit tool, well, he'll find the pl um, playing time somewhere. I think that's a great point. 26 on this list, man, that's – that's a pretty good spot to be in a lot of other systems. You know, you might be a little higher in a, in a lot of other systems there too. Yeah, he's got some serious plus-plus tools, but definitely some concerns that need to be ironed out. Yeah. As we wrap up our discussion with uh, Bailey Srebnik and Jake Wiener of the Tampa Bay Rays Top 50 Prospects, guys, are there any players that did not make this list that we should be watching for once baseball resumes? Some guys maybe that you think – can crack the next updated top 50 that we do? I know I'm kind of throwing a curveball there at you. Oh, no. I mean, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, I do just want to chip in a player that's towards the end of my top 50 first. Uh, just a name that keeps coming up when I'm doing stuff with the Rays, uh, Sandy Gaston. I had him at 41 in the 2020. Before he even played professional ball, I had him at 14 in, you know, top 2019. So uh, signed out of Cuba with a 70-grade fastball. I think I projected a little bit high on that, especially because the secondaries didn't really show up. Uh, but there's a lot of talent there. Uh, but in terms of a player out of my top 50, I really think you guys should keep an eye on uh, Davion Whittle. Uh, he's a pitcher for the Rays, played in Hudson Valley last year. Uh, this kid's a stud. I was watching some tape on him. He's got a pretty large build, draws a lot of power from his legs. Uh, he's got a really nasty splitter. I mean, if he throws that more in like 47 innings last year, hit an ERA under one. And, you know, some pretty good news. I actually reached out to him, and I should be doing an interview with him. So look out for that. We're, gonna, we're all going to learn more about Davion. Awesome. How about you, Bailey? Um, yeah, so I'm going to do the same thing Jake did. Um, uh, so one player towards the set on the second half of the list who I think deserves some more love is Jim Haley. Um, you know, drafted out of Penn State, he has just – he's been great every step of the way so far. Um, you know, he's – Got, he's very well-rounded player. Um, I like his speed tool a lot. Sneaky good speed. Uh, can hit for power. Can hit for contact. Um, just uh, and he's playing multiple infield positions too. So I think he'll he'll find a role in the major leaguers. Might end up as a utility player, but he could end up carving out a role as like a, a platoon corner infielder. And I mean, I think there's some sneaky good value there. And then for a player who's not on the list, um, I think Miles Mastrobini. Um, I don't think he ended up on the list. I think he um, could be a guy to keep an eye on. Um, I believe he finished the year in Double A last year and would have started the year in Triple A this year. Um, got he's very good glove in the outfield, so he'll find a role as like uh, maybe a fourth outfielder. But there's upside for a starter if he can uh, really progress with the bat. Guys, you never let me get to my second prospect crush here. It's a we guy who's it. not even on the list. Well, we're not done yet. Go for and it. And nobody mentioned it. <laughs> it's a guy that I took in the 48th round of uh, Chaffee's Prospect Challenge, and he's not on the list because he was the player to be, to be named later in the uh, Tommy Pham deal. That's, that's probably why. Uh, Esteban, I think it's Kiros. I think that's how you say it. A 28-year-old prospect, no less, who played in the Mexican League for a long time. I was curious to know if you guys knew anything about him and if – he had been named in that trade if he would have cracked that top 50. Oh, I know about him. I do. I know. Um, <laughs> I actually saw him play for the Portland Sea Dogs a couple years go. ago before he went to San Diego. Yeah. Um, and 
he was he was raking and I think and then he got hurt and he was he was just out for a while he was on his way to the majors because uh, Boston needed some help at second base mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know off to San Diego and then over to uh, Tampa Bay in that deal so yeah definitely talk about him yeah he definitely would have been in the top 50 uh, probably in the top 35 for sure I mean, the power is very intriguing. He is an older prospect. Uh, he's same age as Yoshi Tsutsugo. Um, so, you know, clock is ticking on him. But I, I think he'll, um, he'll find a role. And what's interesting about him is he, I believe, um, of players who are uh, in the race farm system right now, I think he led them in ISO in 2019. I could be wrong, but his ISO is above 200. I, and he had like 500 plate appearances. So, I mean, that, that really stood out to me when I was looking through the stats um, a few days ago. Yeah, so in terms of Esteban, I mean, he's pretty small. He's 5'7", but he definitely packs a punch. Uh, 19 homers last year uh, at the AAA. So, you know, people say that the balls were, may have been similar to the majors and the fact that they, were, they had been juiced a bit. But this is somebody that constantly is hit for power. He's hit for average. Um, you know, that's, that's a good weapon to have. And he's pretty well versatile as a fielder. can play second, short, third. So you know, team like the Rays, what better can you ask for? Yeah, I'm not a big comp guy because I've embarrassed myself too many times trying to make comps. Strictly from an offensive perspective, he kind of reminds me of Willie Calhoun. A little bit shorter. I like it. Obviously, Esteban might be a little bit more of a late bloomer than uh, Willie Calhoun was. Am I off on that? Or would you say that's a a relatively good uh, player to compare him to? I I mean, I think dimensions-wise, it's a pretty solid one. And I'm sure, you know, he's a very good power. And I think he'll be a major league hitter for a while. So I know you said that uh, he is a bit older for a prospect. Uh, but, you know, he has played baseball for a while. And that's something that experience will translate. And maybe he could be the next Calhoun. That would be a pretty impressive comparison in your part if that comes true, Jay. Hey, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong. That's okay. I've been wrong many times hey, before. Prospects are all about protection. <laughs> and if you see that, you know, there's definitely shades of Calhoun there. So yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> all right well that's been a really good little chat here on our tampa bay rays top 50 prospects according to the list uh, written by jake weiner back in january on prospects 1500.com bailey srebnik uh, is joining the rays uh, beat for us uh, bailey's got an article coming up on taylor walls in the near future uh, jake's got that interview coming up that he had mentioned uh, anything else uh, on your radar, uh, the two of you that you'd uh, like to mention before we take our, our break? Yeah, uh, with that being said, I know I'd mention him in somewhat detail here. Look for a, a prospect profile on Alejandro PA because people need to be on him more. Yeah, I'm just very excited to uh, be joining the uh, Rays beat. Very thankful for the opportunity. Um, so yeah, just be on the lookout for some um, good articles. And, and Bailey, you're uh, down in Florida, and you will continue to get out to, once baseball's back, uh, Florida State League games. If it's not this summer, it'll be next year. And uh, definitely uh, keep up with uh, Bailey uh, at FSUBailey12 on Twitter. Uh, lots of great selfies with all of your favorite minor league uh, the best players. Selfies. <laughs> He's the king. And, uh, and Jake, uh, you'll, you'll get out and see some games uh, when you can. Um, Absolutely. Hudson Valley is where I went to college. It's pretty much my back door, so I'm looking forward to that. Is Hudson Valley one of the ones on the contraction list? Uh, it may be. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. But, you know, it's, it, it's a nice place to play ball. And obviously, this is a very uh, extenuating circumstance that we're dealing with. But yeah. it's interesting to see how it gets resolved. Yeah, I just know that they're in the New York Penn League, and right. a lot of the teams in the New York Penn League may be going away. So yeah, it'd be a shame. It, we'll we'll find out about that in the near future. So uh, Jake Barry, anything to wrap things up? No. Before we let these guys go, I just want to uh, plug Jake's article last week. His all prospect opening day lineup uh, with the Rays. I thought that was a great article. A uh, lot of great feedback for that one too. And and I'm I'm going to do something similar for the Braves too. It gave me a little inspiration there. Awesome. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what other, you know, organizations can put up for a top nine in a rotation. Yeah, really nice job. That was a wonderful piece, uh, Jake. Thank you. So, so uh, again, Bailey Srebnik, Jake Weiner, Jake Berry, I'm Scott Green. 
We've been talking about the Rays' top 50 prospects. Uh, Jake, Barry, and I will be back after the short break, and we'll uh, discuss Chappie's prospect challenge, a couple other things coming up on the website. And this is Futures Focus, a Prospects 1500 podcast. And we're back on Prospects 1500's Futures Focus. Scott Green along with Jake Berry. Jake, what a great discussion with those guys. Yeah, no kidding. Two very knowledgeable guys. I'm glad that we got them on the staff here and covering such a great system too. And, you know, like I said in the interview, it's it's one of the few systems that you can scroll through the top 50 and find find guys in every tier probably that you've heard of before. So a lot of fun discussion on the on the race there. Absolutely. Uh, we'll probably have them on in the future. And we're going to get some more of our contributors on to talk about other systems uh, that we want to dive into our top 50 prospects is that's that's our niche a niche here on uh, futures focus so let's do a little segue into the world of fantasy baseball and prospects and the chappies prospect challenge can you just tell us a little bit about what that's all about how we did it and kind of where we are i know that Jared just recently dropped uh, part one of his recap uh, on the website, and we've got a couple more parts coming out. Very unique, right? I think it was, uh, you know, you kind of had to throw your traditional strategy to the wind after a couple rounds after what you would call, quote, unquote, the best available players were gone. But, yeah, 16 of us, I think, 50, 50 rounds in total. There was, what, 800 prospects that were selected. And, you know, the real kicker here, especially when you're, for me anyways, when we got into the later rounds and I was looking at some pitchers and things like that is we couldn't draft anybody that had made their MLB debut yet. So if a guy had thrown a third of an inning in the majors, he wasn't eligible for this draft or gotten one, one plate appearance. He wasn't eligible for this draft. So that knocked out uh, some other guys you might see on some top prospects list and especially some of those deeper dives and relievers and things like that. So um, you know, six by six scoring, average OPS runs, home runs, RBIs, stolen bases. And then um, you've got your your traditional stuff with quality starts for pitching and saves plus holds, which that's the key to a league like this. There's not going to be 800, you know, saves to, to go around in the uh, in the 800th pick or anything like that. So it's nice to have the holds thrown in there. Yeah. And, you know, the neat, unique thing about this is it's kind of like an all-encompassing career uh, stats number thing. I mean, he's got a season component to it. So we might have, you know, someone that wins 2021 and someone that wins 2022, but there's no real prize in that. The, the big prize is years from now when the prospects that we've drafted have played their careers in the major leagues and how many points have, have they contributed to your fantasy roster over so many years. That's kind of the unique thing I think about this. Yeah. And so some guys might not retire until 2040 and they can still be accumulating stats for this thing. So yeah, it's going to be, it's definitely the long game. That's for sure. Yeah. And once someone is on the major league roster, if you've got someone that's a prospect, they get called up, we've got to move them to our, our major league roster and then they're there forever. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about this and especially with, um, you know, we'll talk about Jared's piece, his recap piece here in just a moment, but I, I need to talk to Jared and kind of dig into his thought process here. Cause this was an extremely creative draft. I'm, I'm kind of impressed by the way this was set up. Yeah. And you know what, I was going to ask you, you know, if you look at a lot of our readers and followers know all the top names, you know, the names that are going the first 10, 15 rounds, I was going to ask you who you think some of your favorite picks from the second half of your draft were. Like if you look at rounds even 30 through 50, you know, give me a few names because I was going to throw out a few names uh, that I liked from, from my pick getting some real good value late. Yeah, so I know I got him in probably the mid-20s. I'll have to pick up my – or bring my rounds up here in just a second – I didn't want to give away too many because I submitted a bunch of write-ups to Jared for the yeah. uh, for the recaps later on. I think I ended up – he asked for three or four. I think I sent him 11. So I told him to pare it down a little bit if he needs to. But I know one guy in the mid-20s I got was uh, Matt Gorski with the uh, – he's an outfielder in the Pirates organization. Yep. 
um, a guy that I had high on my list in general and a guy that I wasn't fully expecting to still be there in the 20s. And I kind of got lucky that he still fell to me because I kind of quit looking for his name there for a while. So, you know, big speed, big speed power combo guy. And it sounds kind of funny to say, a, a you know, a premier college player is a little bit raw, but he's definitely got uh, some some fine tuning he can do with his tools, but uh, he's definitely got all the, all the raw potential there. So that was a guy I really liked, I think in the mid twenties. Yeah. I'm looking at your list right now. Uh, 23rd round, 356th overall. Mm-hmm. You know, and also I look at your list and I'm going to see, you know, Braves player one, Braves player two, Braves player three, favorite other player four. Uh, very predictable uh, in your picks, Mr. Barry here. I, I would say, but no, it's not bad. I mean, you got your Jaseel De La Cruz and Trey Harris a little further down. Uh, you wrote about this guy during the 2019 season, Days Bell Hernandez, 580th overall, 37th round. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, you know, there's the whole get your guy thing, which is kind of justifiable when there's this many picks. Um, I think a guy, maybe 33 or somewhere in the thirties, a uh, pitcher in the Mets organization, Dayson Acosta, he's just a guy that I happened to see one night in Rome when he was pitching against rehabbing Dansby Swanson and Austin Riley. And the final stat line didn't look great, but he was breaking off curveballs against, you know, major league hitters that that made him look silly. And so, you know, I store things like that. While it might have only been one live look, I stored that in my in my mind and hey, broke him out late late in the draft here. Sure. I've got uh the uh, OSS brothers in the mid, right in the middle of the draft, 26th round, Kathron, um, 26th round was Christian Koss, 27th round was Kathron Moss. Uh, I like those guys. Uh, Brock Detheridge in the 30th round, I thought he fell pretty far. Uh, we, we talked about this player a little bit with Bailey and Jake, uh, the Hulk sizer. I got Nico in the 34th round. And right after him, a catcher that I'm pretty high on, in the Giants system, Rainer Santana, uh, 553rd overall. I don't think that's pretty uh, – I think that's pretty good value for him. Uh, my last couple that I thought were pretty good really late was Connor Siebold for the Phillies in the 47th round. He could actually be part of their major league um, roster uh, this year or next year when, when we get back into play. And my final pick was another guy who could be in the mix for saves for the Giants, and that's Danny Jimenez, 792nd overall. That was a deep, deep sleeper uh, on my part that I figured I'd, I'd gamble with. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. And, you know, we touched on probably my favorite steal late in the, late in the draft there was uh, Esteban Quiroz with the Rays, 28-year-old prospect. We talked a little bit about him with with Jake and Bailey, I think that might might be one that we look back in the uh, near future and say, hey, that's pretty pretty good value there too. So before I touch on the historical seasons, let everyone know what's going on with your KBO. Yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun. So Tony Bitspina, who who covers the uh, the Phillies um, at the site, he he kind of created this KBO fan base league, right? And so we're all kind of piecing it together, and and the first couple rounds were uh, relatively easy. Um, the foreign players are relatively easy, but then, you know, some of these names kind of start to overlap too, especially if you're not 100% familiar with the league. So, um, you know, the season actually starts at 1 a.m. Eastern tonight as we finish up recording here on Monday, uh, recording the podcast here. So um, we're trying to power through the draft, but, you know, it's also challenging because there's nine of us in this league and there's only 10 teams. So if you think about that in an MLB, you know, perspective, that's like having a, a 27-man uh, fantasy league right if you will so um, luckily the rosters there's not much in-season roster management or anything like that we're just doing straight position players you know one at each position and a utility um, and then nine pitchers so we're not having benches so really this league's going to come down to whoever's luckiest injury wise I think to be honest with you so it's been a lot of fun you know there's some blasts from the past and names that pop up uh, I grabbed Preston Tucker a former Brave uh, pretty early again, Scott. Yeah, I'll admit I'm pretty predictable there, but there's some Phillies fans that jump for Aaron Altair in this league too, so it justifies my Preston Tucker pick a little bit. But it's been a lot of fun just getting to know these teams and these names. Cool. Well, before we wrap up, uh, check out this concept that uh, my friends and I did recently, and I'm going to expand it to our Prospects 1500 crew. We're going to put together our own little draft. 
it's based on historical seasons. So the one that I participated in was for the last 40 years. And uh, you had to look at only players from the 1980s, 90s, 2000s, and 2010s. Um, and you put together a fantasy roster in the format of what was the original rotisserie baseball league roster back in the early 80s with just 14 hitters, nine pitchers, a 23-man roster. So the way we did it, and we, it's kind of based off this article that was written uh, a few months back, and I'm going to put a link to that article in the show notes for this podcast so everyone can check that out. But basically, um, how that challenge worked was you could pick any players to fill in this position, um, one per team, uh, and that sort of thing, and, and try to come up with the best possible five-by-five five traditional roto score across the board. Um, my friends and I did this draft where if you pick a player from any season, none of the other participants could take that same player. So if you want 1982 Ricky Henderson with 130 steals, nobody else can take that Ricky. You could take 1985 Ricky with the Yankees or, or his 1980 rookie season, but you couldn't take the same one. So that was one of the limitations. Another limitation is once you pick a player from a team, you cannot take another player from that same team. So our first pick was 2001 Randy Johnson from the Diamondbacks. So that means for the rest of the entire draft, we couldn't have any Diamondbacks player from any season. And another catch was you couldn't have another player from the same year. So we couldn't have any other 2001 player as well. So as the draft goes, you become more and more limited with who you can pick. And it came, it was very interesting. It was a great distraction uh, based on everything that we're, we're going through and living through right now. It's a lot of fun. It was able to keep, you know, the chatter going with everyone in the league. Uh, and then the guy who ran it basically tabulated all the points in the matter of a half hour. And then we knew how bad we actually did and finished uh, seventh out of 10th and was really disappointing, you know, thinking that, wow, we're going and, our, our hitters looked good. Our pitchers looked good, but we just, you didn't, you were doing it blindly. That was the thing. It was like a gentleman's agreement. We basically could keep track of your roster. We had an Excel spreadsheet for our roster, but we were not to kind of total up everyone else's. Mm -hmm. So we were doing it blindly, you know, not yeah. knowing how many home runs we needed, not knowing how many strikeouts for a pitcher might've been needed to win this thing. So we did well on the pitching front where we came in second out of 10th, but our hitters were dead last and we finished seventh overall. So we're actually gonna do another one with a little bit of an expansion, but the one that I'm thinking of doing with our crew is, is having a 30-man roster. So we have to pick a player from every team, and I might expand the years. I'd like to maybe go back into the 60s and 70s instead of just the 80s through current times. So, hey, it's just another format for a fun fantasy league. Uh, during these times without baseball was there um what was the clock in between picks it was over an extended period of time so yeah. it was all uh via email and entering in on a spreadsheet gotcha. so everyone you know a lot of people would get their picks in timely you know 30 minutes hour later some people were literally a minute or two later mm -hmm. uh, but you know once it got to late in the evening and we had one guy in germany so he was always you know, if it got to 6 or 7 p.m. here and it got to him, he wasn't making his pick till the morning because it was already, you know, the middle of the night there. Right. Um, yeah, we weren't doing it on any sort of live draft room or fan tracks or anything like that. It was, it was on our own, and it, it, went pretty, it went pretty smoothly. It only took us probably a week and a half to get through 23 rounds. Yeah, I think all the, all the caveats in there are interesting too because I know you guys had your gentleman's agreement, but <clears> – <throat> You know, we kind of all remember the historical seasons, if you will. But if you take, you know, a, a certain year and things like that and um, can only take, you know, one player per team and things like that, I think all those caveats just – I think they're kind of necessary to make it a little more challenging, if you will. Yeah, you know, and so we had made our list of players that we wanted to target and looking at the different decades and 
we had a couple outfielder spots as we were getting near the end of our uh, offensive roster being finished. And one of the guys that was still out there was uh, 2010 Carlos Gonzalez from the Rockies. Had a great year. Um, like in the, he had 330, had 30 stolen bases. He was in the 30s for homers. RBIs and runs were both in the hundreds. Great overall season. And basically was going to be one of our next picks, but we needed a shortstop. And there, it was kind of slim pickings. So it came down to us taking, I think it was from 2019, Trevor Story had a, had a decent year based on what was left for us to be able to select. So once we took him, there was no way we could then get cargo because we already had the Rocky uh, player taken. Very interesting. And I think you'll have a lot of fun uh, if we do this. Yeah, I bet hindsight, uh, hindsight's great after you get those results, huh? Exactly, yeah, <laughs> to know where we need to improve. So that's about it for, uh, for this episode. Some great Rays discussion. We'll, uh, we'll get more into other teams, top 50 lists uh, as we go here through the spring and into the summer months. Uh, hopefully we're going to have word on if there's going to be any sort of major league or minor league baseball here in the coming weeks. And uh, that's pretty much all I've got, Jake, for this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the uh, one, one other thing I wanted to touch on just briefly is I think, you know, with us being baseball card guys, we have to mention this Bowman first edition stuff that's going on. And, you know, I've seen some varying opinions on it and things like that. But all I know is I bought a Jaseel Daily Cruise for three bucks this morning. So I'm cool. That's great. <laughs> that's an amazing deal because yeah. I – I went to look for a Jaron Duran, his first Bowman card, and they're like 25 or 30 bucks right now. Yeah, yeah, and that's nothing compared to all uh, Dominguez, huh? Yeah, so it's one of these things. Uh, there was an article I did on the website just a couple weeks ago about Bowman First Edition. The uh, Topps company put this special product on sale for three days only back on, I think it was the 22nd through 24th. They had a limited supply each day. You could get packs. Maximum number uh, was 24, which actually turns out to be what one of the sealed boxes is. But you could have ordered one or two single packs if you were so choosing to. And they were 15 bucks a piece. Nobody is getting these packs for 15 bucks anymore. You know, on the retail, on the re, uh, what, secondary market, you're probably looking at $25, $26 to $35 a pack based on what people are trying to sell them for. And what our listeners and our followers might be interested in looking at, because this is a prospect-laden product, it's the very first Jason Dominguez and Bobby Witt Jr. Bowman cards. So those prices and values right now are skyrocketing and we don't know if they're going to hold value we don't know what is going to happen once the 2020 flagship product of bowman comes out which has been delayed and maybe coming out later this month we don't know but uh yeah i'm glad you brought up that first edition because it's it's definitely on the minds and uh, radar of a lot of collectors right now yeah absolutely so, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. But outside of that, Scott, I think it was a great discussion today. And I had a lot of fun doing this one. And, um, you know, even though there's no actual baseball on the field right now, still loving down, sitting down and talking ball with you, bud. Awesome. Anytime. That's uh, uh, what we're here for. So, all right. I appreciate you uh, hanging out with me, Jake. And uh, thank you to Bailey Srebnik and Jake Weiner for joining us. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next time. Uh, I want everyone to really stay safe. Um, do your social distancing stuff, and uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. This has been episode 14 of Prospects 1500's A Futures Focus. Have a good one, everyone. <laughs>